Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Email the program at info at rudymaxa.com or follow us on Facebook at Rudy Max's World. And now, America's number one travel radio show, Rudy Max's World. Welcome aboard. Well, this week has seen the media trying to explain the inexplicable, beginning with the revelation that the German wings disaster was almost the, surely the doings of one obviously very troubled pilot. The talking heads who normally populate news channels that work hard to keep the world's number one story on the screen had to abandon the usual considerations, weather, mechanical difficulty, terrorism. So how do we explain one man's goal of going to his death by steering a commercial jetliner into the ground? Well, the most plausible explanation I heard was a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I didn't catch which it was, who said in a public radio interview that when an individual is so far gone that it makes sense to do what this pilot allegedly did, he or she has obviously no regard or concern for the lives of others. If life is over for him, life is over. There seems little consideration given for the accompanying deaths of 150 other souls, deaths that will touch thousands of their family and friends and alter the course of the lives of their survivors forever. It's the utter banality and the horrible simplicity of that analysis that makes me believe that, makes me believe that, basically. Someone who had enough empathy and interest in life left to think, hey, I might be ready to commit suicide, but I surely don't want to take others with me would have chosen one of the more common solo methods by which suicide victims accomplish their final act. A friend of mine, upon learning of the crash, texted me to say he thought planes weren't just supposed to fall out of the sky. And, of course, they're not. A horrendous weather event or the bad luck of pilot error usually accounts for airplane accidents, as few as they are. And then there are the even more unusual extraordinary causes. I think of that bird strike that clogged Captain Sullenberger's jet engines and resulted in that miracle emergency landing on the Hudson River. Or we have this week's apparently suicidal controlled descent into a French mountain range. It isn't the first such incident. Airsafe.com counts seven deliberate crashes by airline pilots since 1980. Now, that covers 35 years, so clearly these incidents are few and far between. But when a plane goes down, a sort of universal tremor of fear infects the world of folks lucky enough to be able to fly places. Guys like I am then march out the usual parade of statistics that demonstrate you're at much more risk of death when you're driving your car to the dry cleaners and you are boarding a commercial passenger plane to anywhere. You know the others. More people die of lightning strikes or slips in bathtubs and in airline crashes. But when a random Malaysian airline plane vanishes or in that airline's unlucky follow-up is shot down by mistake over a piece of contested real estate in Eastern Europe, well, there's a feeling that anything can happen at any time. And it can. I once asked the writer and former pilot William Langishy what he tells friends after a commercial air disaster. I thought he'd do the same statistical dance I do for my worried friends. But no, Langishy took the tough love approach. Who among us, he asked me years ago when I interviewed him on a radio show about the 1998 crash of a Swiss airplane near Nova Scotia, who among us gets to choose when we die? And that took me aback. He was right. If we could choose the time we'd die, we'd all barricade ourselves in our bedrooms, order home-delivered pizzas, and watch cable television until our hearts gave out. We wouldn't cross the street or drive a car or get in anyone else's motorized vehicles. Maybe we'd never even take a bath. But we accept that just as in life, at least to us mere mortals, just as life is random, so is death. Now, the odds are overwhelmingly in favor when you board a plane. They're less favorable, but obviously acceptable when you turn on the ignition of your car. We risk injury and death going about an ordinary day to a greater degree than anyone sitting in an airplane watching a movie. So our hearts go out to the deceased passengers aboard the German Wings flight and to their friends and family. 
Which brings me to my guest, travel columnist and curator of the website, JoeSentMe.com, Joe Brancatelli. Joe, you were one of the first to note that in the U.S. at least, one person is never supposed to be left alone in the cockpit when a plane is in flight. Now, was that an individual airline by airline rule? No. In the United States, it's basically one of the strictures we've put in after 9-11, including hardened uh, cockpit doors and the Transportation Security Administration. But it is mostly a U.S. airline uh, ruling. Uh, most European carriers certainly did not, until Tuesday's incident, uh, follow that rule. They're now rushing to adopt it as well. Do they have strengthened doors in, uh, in Asia and Europe and South America? They do. That generally has been adopted everywhere. Um, and, and you tend to have to do that if you're an airline, even if your own home country doesn't do it, because if you need to fly to another country, their rule might be that. Um, right. If you're coming to the United States, which German Wings, which is a division of Lufthansa, does not, you can't, you can't technically have only one person in the cockpit at any time because you have to follow the U.S. rules. But that, I don't want to say that's a soft thing, but that's a human thing, and that's not something you can control by manufacturing process. That has to be at the, at the behest and, and the uh, willing cooperation of the flight crew. Right, and it's certainly not, uh, not foolproof. I mean, a, a flight attendant could be overwhelmed, or, or it seems to me a co-pilot co could still steer the plane into the mountain while a flight attendant protested. But it certainly is a, it's another barrier. It, it is largely in there uh, in case something happens. We've had more than one uh, situation where the person flying the, flying the plane became incapacitated by their own health issues. Um, mm. So a flight attendant would be able to open the door for the other pilot who might not be there. Um, but largely speaking, this was here, this was put in specifically for a situation like this, to make sure that a person who'd, who'd lost it, basically, um, would not be in total control. That does, again, not foolproof, but it would lower the odds. In your Biz Journal column, you said there was a, the thinnest of silver linings. And uh, what is that? Well, I think the first thing we did, as readers will see in my column, um, I literally landed moments before, in, in Frankfurt, moments before uh, news of this plane came out. Um, and the very first thing all we knew, if, you, if we can go back to that time that seems forever ago now, um, on Tuesday, was that the plane somehow crashed. Um, and was flying perfectly level, perfectly logically, perfectly soundly, mechanically, and aeronautically. And the many experts I'd called quickly told me the same thing over and over, that if we have to deal with... If, um, I think we suddenly lost Joe. We're talking to him, by the way, from Paris on Skype. We may have lost him. I can, I can complete his thought unless you have him back, Jeff. Okay, hang on. We'll get him back and let him complete that thought. I know what he was going to say because I read his column. By the way, we have posted a link to Joe's column um, on my Facebook fan page, Rudy Max at Travel Slash Leisure. It's a Biz Journal column this week called What Business Travelers Should Keep in Mind About the German Wings Tragedy. I think not just business scholars, but um, we got about time for one sentence. Joe, would you finish that sentence? The one thing everyone was worried about before we knew more about what had happened was flight, some problem in flight, which is supposed to be the safest part of flying, correct? Okay, I think we lost him again. I'm sorry, we had a little blip in Skype. Skype. Anyway, that's what that's the point he was going to make. That the safest time for flying is when the plane is cruising. The most 
not the word dangerous is too wrong, but the time that most accidents happen is either on takeoff or landing. So there was worry on the part of experts that while flying, the plane might have had a mechanical problem. And that has been the silver lining that Joe refers to, that that wasn't the problem. At any rate, there's a uh, link to Joe's column on my Facebook fan page, Rudy Max at Travel Leisure, if you'd like to see his take on it. Joe is a curator of JoeSentMe.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back here in Rudy Max's world and uh, have a lot more interesting interviews about travel. To participate in the program and have some fun, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. We're coming right back. If you've got aches, pains, and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to what Georgia has to say about relief factor. Over the years, I've had several injuries. I have had lots of pain, and it's been hard for me to exercise. Now, I'm much more active, so I'm losing weight, and I feel better. I would recommend it to anyone. For more information about Relief Factor and the two-week quick start for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. If you've got aches, pains, and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to what Dave has to say about Relief Factor. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information about Relief Factor and the two-week quick start for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. So you need to find a plumber to replace your water heater? The question is, where are you going to look? Phone book? That got tossed in the recycling bin as soon as it hit your doorstep. Web search? Not unless you feel like sorting through an endless list of search results. What you need is someone to refer a local pro you can trust. So do what Rudy Maxa does and log on to homebuild411.homeadvisor.com. Homeadvisor.com gives you free access to a network of over 85,000 background check service professionals who have the expertise to help you with all your home repair and remodeling needs. It's the fast, free, and easy way to find top-rated local pros who've been rated and reviewed by homeowners like you. That's why over 25 million homeowners have trusted homebuild411.homeadvisor.com to find the quality home improvement professionals they're looking for. It's why you can, too. Don't wait to get started on your next project. Just go to homebuild411.homeadvisor.com or go to rudymaxa.com and look under sponsors. To join Rudy Max's world, call anytime, 800-387-8025. Follow the program on Facebook at Rudy Max's World. Now back to America's number one travel radio show. Let's have you back. It's 18 minutes after the hour. We've talked uh, from time to time about river cruising and the popularity, which is soaring through the roof. Americans just love river cruising in Europe primarily, though you can river cruise in the Mississippi River and Missouri, I think, and Parts of a little, few parts of Asia, but uh, along the Mekong, but primarily Europe seems to have captivated an American travel audience. James Schillinglaw is the editor in chief and cruise specialist at Travel Alliance Media. He publishes, uh, which also publishes TravelPulse.com, which James writes for. He has been covering for several years the river cruise and the cruise industry generally. I actually just met him in Amsterdam uh, this week. Uh, we were attending a function uh, being hosted by a river cruise company called Viking River Cruises. And I learned a lot from hanging around with him for a few days, uh, one of which is, you know, when we talk about choosing an ocean cruise, we talk about the personality of the ship, which can be defined by the, uh, 
ethnicity of the crew, the interior design, the uh, port stops that are selected, just the general overall feel of a, of a cruise and how different they are in ocean cruise. Well, it turns out there are categories in river cruising, too, that I didn't understand. I sort of thought they were these long, slim boats that gently went down the Danube or the Rhine or uh, the Mosul. Um, James uh, disabused me of that, and I asked him to come on the show to talk about it. James, nice to have you on here for the first time. Great to talk to you again, Rudy. Glad to be back in the States, but I, I kind of miss our rivers. <laughs> it was, Amsterdam was a pleasant place to be. Now, now, uh, by the way, we didn't go sailing. Anyway. We, we stayed. We were staying in one place. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't actually go river cruising this time around. But, uh, uh, James, you, I think some of the best known, uh, give us three or four of the best known river cruising companies in the States that Americans might be familiar with from ads or friends talking about it or this show for that matter. And tell me about the categories as you see them when it comes to pricing and style, et cetera. Okay. Well, Rudy, obviously Viking River Cruises is probably the best known because they do a lot of consumer advertising. And uh, if you ask someone about river cruising, they'll say, oh, yeah, I've seen that ad for Viking River Cruises. Now, Viking is a really good premium product, and they really are the largest river cruise company in Europe. Uh, but there are many others that a lot of people don't know much about. And uh, I'll, I'll give you some examples. AMA Waterways, uh, Uniworld. That's, that's, that's AMA Waterways, pronounced that's AMA correct. Waterways. Right? AMA right. Waterways. And then it's Uniworld Boutique River Cruises, which you and I got a chance to take a look at. And we can talk about that in a second. Uh, and then Tauk, which is a fairly well-known tour operator, also operates river cruises. Uh, there's also Avalon. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of European brands as well uh, that people don't know about, like Quasi Europe, uh, Quasi as in Cruise Europe, uh, and then Arosa and Amadeus. I mean, the list goes on and on, but uh, there's a lot to choose from in the market. And there certainly is a stratification that has developed over the past few years in terms of river cruises that are kind of more in the luxury orientation river cruises that are more in the premium and even in the value-oriented orientation. All right. You mentioned uh, you, you, you pegged Viking, which I probably would agree with you is the best known. Uh, their early underwriting from the very first season of uh, Downton Abbey didn't hurt them all, at all as far as recognizability in the public marketplace. You called them a premium line, which to me sounds like top of the heap, but you, you put luxury over that. What might be the difference in a week's cruise price between premium and luxury and then give me, a, give, me, give me an idea of what, what, what the difference is between a premium vessel and a luxury one. Well, a, a luxury vessel can be two, maybe $3,000 more, depending. Uh, is that per a, person or per couple, uh, James? Per, Excuse per, me for per person. Um, wow. You know, we're talking, you know, and, and maybe with the offers out there, you can probably get for 1000 to 2000 more. But the difference in the experience is usually in the food. Uh, in the accommodations and in the number of passengers on board, uh, you mentioned earlier that that you know all of these ships I'll have to say are pretty similar in size and in space displacement, but it really matters what goes into the box into the ships and the the, the luxury lines do put something a little more in. Not to say Viking is an excellent line and people can be very satisfied with it, but if you're looking for that little extra, you can find that in some of the other lines like Tauk, um, Uniworld, Ama Waterways, as I talked about earlier, and another brand that I didn't mention named called Scenic, which is actually, actually owned by an Australian uh, company. 
but those are those are some of the examples of the higher end. Uh, there's not too much on the lower end. We didn't talk about that too much, but before we do, before we do, I want to, I want to, I want to slice this a little more uh, okay. carefully. Let me just uh, remind our listeners: I'm talking with James Schillinglaw. He's an editor in chief and cruise specialist at Travel Alliance Media and TravelPulse.com, and he co- has been covering the cruise industry for several years and has been on a lot of these river cruising vessels. And we're talking about the different categories if you're thinking about taking a river cruise. Let me let me just say as an amateur because we did. Uh, I certainly was impressed by the Viking product. Very, very impressed. And then we went uh, sort of elsewhere in the port where Uniworld was about to inaugurate a new ship, a new vessel called the Maria Teresa. And by the way, when we're talking about people on this ship, we're talking about 160 to 190 cabins. Is that right, James? Uh, Actually, 160 to 190 passengers. Passengers, okay. Uh, 80 uh, to... Yeah, Viking has 190, and it really is... Uh, the most passengers, but they figured out a great way to to get all these people in that box, as I said. Uh, most of the luxury cruises will be uh, 160 or less. Uh, I think Tau comes in at 124, for example. So they all have right. more room also for alternative dining. Uh, they also have, I mean, we, 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 you and I toured that, and the Uniworld uh, ship actually has a small movie theater. Yeah, a little movie theater might seat 15 people, a little cafe that might maybe eight people could go in and have pastries and coffee as opposed to the normal dining room. But also, you know, you step in in the Uniworld one, the, the flooring is marble, okay? In, uh, in, uh, on the Viking one, it's, you know, wood or, or some uh, kind of stone-looking thing, but not marble. Uh, the televisions on the Universal, excuse me, the Uniworld vessel were hidden behind the mirror. So until you turned the TV on, you didn't know there was a TV behind the mirror. That wasn't the case with Viking. But still, Viking had Villaroy and Bosch, uh, uh, you, you know, um, basins in, the, in, 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 the, in, your, in your bathroom. The shower pressure was great. They had L'Occitane uh, 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 toiletries and thick, you know, comforters and thick towels. So I, but, but you're right. There were little touches, be it marble, be it the movie theater, be it Alexa or something here and there. So, okay, so there's, so there's your cutting and, – and, and you – and as you say, maybe food and alcohol, that what you get for your fixed price might be a cut above, although I certainly had no gripes about the Viking food or the wine. Okay, but let's, so that's the difference between what you call luxury and premium. Now, let's take a step down a little more, more budgety. A couple, what would we find there? Well, the, the, the newest entrant in, in the U.S. market, they've been around for a long time, uh, is the Quasi Europe product. They're owned by a French family, and they actually have uh, not quite as many ships as Viking, but they've been cruising Europe for a long time, and they've only in the last couple of years come into the U.S. They're about a couple thousand dollars cheaper or uh, less expensive than than some of the premium products like uh, Viking. Uh, so I think they're trying to capture that end of the market, and and they you know they're French. The food has to be good, right, Marty? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, how do you spell quasi? Quasi. I know it's French for cruise. How do you spell that? C R O I S I, and then Europe, all one word, and that's one of the newest lines. But then you have a, a several others that are maybe not in that that sort of value court category that uh, Rosa I mentioned and Amadeus. But yeah, what's happening is uh, there really is a stratification in the market with the lower, and there is now a, a, an entry level price, an entry level river cruise, which I think is good for the market. And how much might an entry one of these, uh, as you call your value proposition cruises or entry level cruises? How much might a week's cruise for two people cost through France? Uh, I've seen prices for the Quasi Europe in the two thousands for for, person. for two people. For no, it's for one person and and okay. maybe a little less. You know, you have to go up. It's about three thousand in the premium and 
Viking has figured out a lot of ways to to they, they were actually one of the the most value oriented uh, they still are uh, in the river cruise market but I think there are going to be uh, river cruising companies that try to un undercut them uh, and then you have the the folks that we talked about earlier they're not interested in that that they want to have the luxury orientation and you forgot to talk about all those mirrored walls we saw on the oh my god it was like it was like I entered the palace of Versailles the mirrors That's the Murano the chandeliers the padded walls yeah, it was quite. That was the Uniworld Mother uh, Mother Teresa. Excuse me, Maria Teresa. It looked like Maria Teresa lived there, and that might be what four or five thousand dollars a person for a week. Uh, at least, yeah. Uh, it, really, it's a much more. Of a, and you know, it is a very sumptuous product, and they're aiming for that. And all of their, especially their newest ships, Uniworld, have that kind of uh, real opulence, and they are individually decorated and. They have incredible materials. It's, as you said, it's kind of like being on a barge of French kings and queens. My guest is James Schillinglaw. We're going to ask him to stay through the commercial, and we're going to switch subjects because he recently wrote an article about this controversy involving SeaWorld and their treatment of whales. Stick along, stick around. We'll talk with uh, James when we get back. You're in Rudy Max's World. Nice to have you here. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open anytime, so call us at 800-387-8025. And so is the website at RudyMaxa.com. Stay with us. We're coming right back after these messages. If you've got aches, pains, and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to what Dave has to say about Relief Factor. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information about Relief Factor and the two-week quick start for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Do you instant message? Get a better service and chat everywhere. Trillion is modern instant messaging for home or work that prioritizes chat interoperability and security. Start a chat on your iPad at breakfast. Continue chatting from the car, train, or plane via your mobile phone. And wrap things up from the office on your desktop. Trillion has great support for many different chat networks, including Facebook, Google, MSN, AIM, ICQ, Yahoo, and more. There's even mail integration. Upgrade your instant messaging today. Visit trillion.im. That's T-R-I-L-L-I-A-N dot I-M. lines are always open at 800-387-8025 and stay connected with the program at rudymaxa.com now back to rudy Maxa's world welcome back this is the place where we talk all travel all the time nice to have you aboard two years ago cnn aired a documentary called blackfish that had an enormous effect on SeaWorld parks all across the country following the death of a trainer by a whale who was performing at SeaWorld. um the documentary was called, as I said, Blackfish, and it not only affected immediately the number of people who visited, but it created an entire debate about whether uh, whales that are held in captivity become psychotic and whether uh, this might be spreading all around the world to whales held in captivity. SeaWorld, two years later, apparently is still feeling, feeling the effect of that. And I asked James Schillingham, who was with me in the previous segment, to uh, stay with me and talk about it because he recently went down to SeaWorld 
uh, to ask some questions about it. James is the editor-in-chief and cruise specialist at Travel Alliance Media, and he writes regularly for TravelPulse.com, which you can sign up to receive if you're a travel uh, maven. Uh, James, uh, nice to have you back. Thank you for switching gears with us. So you go down to SeaWorld, and what is SeaWorld's brief? I know they have very meticulously laid out their objections to this documentary. What did you find were the major their major points? Well, their major points, Rudy, are that the film is kind of stitched together. It's a very effective uh, documentary or propaganda, as they say. Uh, they've had a difficult time getting their message out, I think, in rebuttal, because the film, as you know, has almost taken on the quality of urban myth. Everybody seems to have heard about it, uh, but very few people have actually gone down to SeaWorld to see exactly for themselves what's reality. And I just actually did uh, a, a week ago. And yes, I'm not going to try to refute allegations in the, some of the film. There was a trainer killed, and uh, a whale did have was involved in it. Uh, ironically, that same whale, believe it or not, is still doing the shows at SeaWorld Orlando. And I gather trainers are no longer in the water with the whales, however. They, they have made some major changes in what they do, and they, they were shocked themselves that it never happened before, at least not to that extent. You know, you're dealing with, with wild animals, so you're never quite sure exactly what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, they have made changes to the way they train and the way they do the shows. So, no, there are no more trainers in the water. What they've replaced them with actually is more whales. And it's actually a fantastic show, I have to tell you. Um, the people there, you got to understand, I believe, are very dedicated. They, they really love the, the animals they work with. And I, I just came away feeling they would never, you know, knowingly mistreat them. Uh, so it, it is, I mean, it, it is a big controversy here. I mean, it's, if you're an animal activist, you don't believe anybody should be in captivity. Any, any animal should be in captivity. Uh, I, for one, don't go with that route. I think, you know, we have a lot to learn when we see whales uh, in, in shows like this and whales and in their environment. And then the other factor for SeaWorld is they are enormously uh, helpful in terms of rescuing animals around the U.S. and around the world uh, that have you know in, that have been damaged or in the wild or trapped, and they do amazing things in that regard. So didn't they just do something recently? Yeah, they they res rescued I don't know 19 manatees that had been um, caught in a drain pipe. They rescued 500 or 400 sea lions on the west coast, and they have a full time staff, and that's all they do is to go out rescued marine life. They don't rescue it and then capture it and put them in the shows. They release them back to the wild. And they and, do that at SeaWorld's expense, correct? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, that's an amazing thing that SeaWorld does. Uh, the other thing you have to realize is that SeaWorld doesn't capture whales and put them on its shows. They, they actually breed the whales. So tel Telecom, who is the whale in question, uh, who is the biggest whale in the show, and it's absolutely amazing, I have to say, uh, is actually one of the breeder whales. So uh, I, I don't know. A lot, the film makes a lot of assumptions. I am no, I'm not going to make an assumption about how to make whales psychotic. I, I don't know if you can do that. Um, but it is interesting that that's what the film attempts to do. Uh, I came away feeling that, that you know, we do have to look at SeaWorld's side of things and really understand this uh, and not just go with you know, that the documentary is 100% correct. And I do urge people to go to the SeaWorld website and take a look. At, I think it's SeaWorld.com uh, slash truth. 
Uh, and yes, they, they, they have their own point of view. But uh, I think in the interest of getting it out there, everybody should take a look at that. Um, you also, I want to give some numbers. You said they have a staff of about 1,500 available company-wide for uh, rescuing animals around the world. And, and, and I think uh, the one quote that sums up a little bit what you said is, we don't collect animals. In other words, they're not out there trying to capture uh, sea, sea creatures to bring them into SeaWorld. And uh, no, I think that's an important distinction. Absolutely. And, and in fact, in the film, it makes it appear that they're out there capturing animals. Actually, what the film depicts is, uh, is a, a, whale, a whale gathering years ago, 30 years ago, and somebody having regrets about that. Uh, it also depicts uh, uh, accidents at parks that are not SeaWorld. Uh, you know, there's no doubt there was a great tragedy and, some, and a trainer was killed. Uh, the, the, but there's kind of a stitching together in a time sort of lapse format to make it sound like SeaWorld has been the villain in all of this. We'll put a link to James's article on my Facebook fan page, Rudy Max at Travel Leisure. The story is called Behind the SeaWorld. It was just posted five days ago on the 23rd of March. Uh, check it out. Um, the man behind uh, uh, Blackfish has written a book about it. We're going to have him on the show coming coming up. James Schillinglaw, thanks so much for joining us for two segments. Uh, we learned a lot. Thanks, Rudy. James is editor-in-chief and a cruise specialist with TravelPulse.com. I'm Rudy Maxis. Stick around. we got lots more. Join Rudy Max's world by calling 800-387-8025. Access the show anytime at RudyMaxa.com. We're coming right back. If you've got aches, pains, and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to what Georgia has to say about relief factor. Over the years, I've had several injuries. I have had lots of pain, and it's been hard for me to exercise. Now I'm much more active, so I'm losing weight, and I feel better. I would recommend it to anyone's. For more information about Relief Factor and the two-week quick start for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. If you've got aches, pains, and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to what Dave has to say about Relief Factor. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information about Relief Factor and the two-week quick start for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. So you need to find a plumber to replace your water heater? The question is, where are you going to look? Phone book? That got tossed in the recycling bin as soon as it hit your doorstep. Web search? Not unless you feel like sorting through an endless list of search results. What you need is someone to refer a local pro you can trust. So do what Rudy Maxa does and log on to Home Build. 411.homeadvisor.com. Homeadvisor.com gives you free access to a network of over 85,000 background check service professionals who have the expertise to help you with all your home repair and remodeling needs. It's the fast, free, and easy way to find top-rated local pros who've been rated and reviewed by homeowners like you. That's why over 25 million homeowners have trusted homebuild411.homeadvisor.com to find the quality home improvement professionals they're looking for. It's why you can, too. Don't wait to get started on your next project. Just go to homebuild411.homeadvisor.com or go to rudymaxa.com and look under sponsors. If you're overwhelmed by debt and thinking about going to a credit counseling company for help, think again. Because the majority of those companies actually work for the credit card companies, and they make the credit card companies a lot of money. 
from people just like you. But there's another way out of debt, and it's not bankruptcy. A way to reduce your debts and save you thousands of dollars. Even better, you can find out how for free by calling 1-800-928-3026. At Freedom Debt Relief, we're not a credit counseling organization. We're not a debt consolidation company. We offer a unique alternative to save you the most money possible to resolve your debt in the shortest amount of time. If you're thinking about a credit counselor, ask yourself this. Are they working for you or the credit card companies? Reduce your debts and save thousands of dollars by learning the secrets to settling your debt. For free information, call 1-800-928-3026. That's 1-800-928-3026. 1-800-928-3026. To participate in the program, call anytime, 800-387-8025, or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Once again, you're in Rudy Maxa's world. And it's 43 minutes after the hour in Rudy Maxa's world, and I'm betting it's 43 minutes after the hour where you are as well. Nice to have you here. Uh, Charlie Leoka is the chairman and founder of TravelsUnited.org. He's a, um, a frequent guest on the show talking about consumer travel issues. And, you know, as we've all seen the price of gas drop at our, our local gas stations and we've read articles about what's, how, come, how come all those fuel surcharges that were added to airline tickets, how come we don't see airline ticket prices falling substantially? Well, that's a question that's been on Charlie's mind as well. And he recently uh, had a debate on CNBC with Gordon Bethune, the former Continental Air CEO, um, about whether falling oil prices should prompt airliners to reduce the price of a ticket. I know the uh, head of uh, the CEO of American Airlines has said, well, no, we're not going to reduce. We've, you know, we've got shareholders to think of, and we've got years of losses. Charlie, welcome to the show. What's your, what's your argument on this? Well, I, my big argument is basically, hey, airlines, be honest with us. Let us know what's really going on. I mean, I can make all the airline arguments probably better than they can. I know, this, I know the business inside out. However, at a certain point, when you hear the airlines going on for the last oh, let's say three or four years, we, we've all heard over and over and over again, like a mantra from the airlines, we have to raise the airfares because fuel costs are going up. Right. So, okay, we believe them. And airfares are going up, and we say, okay, we have to bite the bullet. Airfares are going to be going up. Then we drive down the street, and we see that fuel costs are dropping like a rock. And I look back at my airfares, and they're still going up. They went up last month, by the way. And so we go, what's going on here? Either the, are the, were the airlines lying to me before, or are they choosing to lie to me now, or are they just ignoring me? And basically what they're doing is they're ignoring us, because with all of the airline consolidation, there's just no real free market anymore. They're acting like a small monopoly now. Well, now, of course, their argument is uh, we had years of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of losses. We need to upgrade our equipment. Um, we need to, you know, get back into giving raises to our employees. And so this is this is an opportunity to to do that. Now, if they actually said that and laid it out um, in a uniform basis, you know, each each airline, would that make us feel better as consumers? Would it make Charlie Leoka feel better? Well, I think that it, it would make us feel better. However, a lot of what they say is very duplicitous. Um, first of all, they've had lots of losses, 
but they declared bankruptcy. They got rid of all their losses. They got rid of all of their pensions, a lot of their pensions. And guess who they got? Guess who's responsible for them now? You and me via the federal government. And so, you know, the airlines are uh, they're getting money from us via our taxes. And now they're getting more money from us via the airfares. And because there's no real competition in the country anymore, we're down to four major airlines. And those airlines are not competing with each other so much as they are divvying up the market. And it just makes it hard to allow the free market to actually work. There still is competition where there is competition on, on fares. Is that a fair summation? I mean, if there are two or three major carriers trying to trying to serve the same route, they're actually they actually are willing to drop prices to try to get an edge in the competition. They are. If you fly between JFK and Los Angeles, or between uh, Washington D.C. and Los Angeles, there are a lot of airlines flying those routes these days, and you get some pretty good airfares. But heaven forbid if you want to go to Nashville. Or to Cincinnati. I mean, one of the crazy things that happened is a friend of mine had to take a round-trip ticket, a round-trip from Boston to Cincinnati. And the Boston to Cincinnati round-trip cost more than Boston to Cincinnati to Tampa, Florida, back to Boston. And so she went down to Tampa to visit with her daughter. And it saved her $100. Now, that's pretty amazing when you look at the control and and what a difference competition makes to our airfares. So what's we got 30 seconds left. What what do you propose? Well, right now I propose that the air, if the airlines are honest with us and transparent about their airfares, that they don't restrict the distribution of the airfares like some of the airlines are doing and they tell us what's going on, we can figure out what's the best price. And there's no way for us to get the prices to drop down anymore because we don't have any kind of real market power. But at least the airlines can be honest with us about why they're keeping the airline prices and the airfares high. Charlie Leoka is uh, is um, head of uh, the Travelers United. You can find more information at travelersunited.org. And we posted that CNBC video of his debate with Gordon Bethune. Again, on my Facebook page, Rudy Max at Travel uh, Leisure. Thank you very much, Charlie. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Connect with America's number one travel radio show by calling 800-387-8025 or follow the program at RudyMaxa.com. We'll be right back. connect with the program, call 800-387-8025. That's 800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at RudyMaxa.com. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. 52 after the hour. Uh, if you're a regular listener to this show, you may know my producer, Janet Dea Savina McDonald, and her husband are conducting their business while living in a um, motor home, sort of traveling around an RV while traveling around the United States. And most recently, they found themselves in Fredericksburg, Texas. And uh, Janet wandered into the Admiral Nimitz Museum. The Admiral Nimitz Foundation there uh, runs, a, runs a museum. It's called the National Museum of the Pacific War, to be precise, National Museum of the Pacific War. And she was quite taken by it and asked uh, the uh, director uh, of marketing and public relations to join us to talk about it. Brandon uh, Vineyard is his name. Brandon, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. 
I guess the very first question is, why is a Naval History Museum located in Texas Hill Country? Uh, that's the number one question we get. So the museum is there because Fredericksburg, Texas, was actually the birthplace of Fleet Admiral Chester W. Nimitz. Um, his grandfather's hotel uh, there on Main Street is actually part of our museum, and that's where Admiral Nimitz spent the first five years of his life before moving to Kerrville. And so for the history challenge, re- for the history challenge, remind me why Admiral Nimitz is famous and well known. Well, Fleet, Ad- Fleet Admiral Nimitz was the uh, commander in chief of the Pacific uh, during World War II. So him and MacArthur actually split the Pacific into different parts and uh, commanded together. But Nimitz was the overall five-star uh, in command. Okay, and d- so what have we got here at the Admiral Chester Nimitz Museum? At the National Museum of the Pacific War, we actually have three museums. Uh, we sit on about six acres. You've got the Admiral Nimitz Museum, which covers the founding of the town, um, Admiral Nimitz's naval career, which was very long. He never worked uh, for anyone but the Navy. You've got the George H.W. Bush Gallery, which is our 33,000-square-foot uh, exhibit area. That's our main gallery. That chronologically tells the story of World War II in the Pacific. And two blocks down, we have our Pacific Combat Zone. And there we have our uh, wooden PT-309 boat, uh, TBM Avenger, and a battlefield, which is where we do our living history reenactment on select weekends throughout the year. We've also got a memorial courtyard that, uh, you know, pays respect to anyone who served in the Pacific with really nice wall plaques. Uh, Any person, unit, you can really go in there. We've got over 2,000 now, and it's just kind of a place to quietly reflect on on the sacrifice that the greatest generation if, gave to this nation. If I came to Fredericksburg, Texas, and visited these three f- fairly related but distinct museums that are under the umbrella of the National Museum of the Pacific War, would I come away with a fairly thorough understanding of what the Pacific War in World War II was all about? You would actually come away probably overly thorough. Um, we've got 50, I like overly thorough. Words of- yeah, we've got 55,000 words of text. Um, we've got some one-of-a-kind artifacts you're not going to see anywhere else in the country, some not in the world. And we our tickets, when you purchase a ticket, it's good for 48 hours because we want people to be able to come in, get out, get some fresh air, get some lunch, come back as many times as they want. And there are a lot of people who come in who use that full 48 hours to uh, really just dive deep into into the history. Are there members of the Nimitz family still surviving in the area? There are some distance. There's no, there's no Nimitz namesakes in Fredericksburg. Mm-hmm. Um, his great-grandson actually uh, traveled through six months ago from California, and he was moving back out east with the Navy, and he had stopped by to uh, see the museum and see the statue that we have now of uh, Fleet Admiral Nimitz. Is the grandson's last name Nimitz as well? No. Okay. I, can't I just thought it might now. not hurt his career in the Navy if it was. <laughs> well, I think that the connection there is <laughs> is known. It's a lot. It would be a lot to live up to. I don't know if it'd help or not. That that's true. How many people visit the the museum um, a year, and what is the price of admission for an adult? We see about one hundred and fifty thousand visitors a year. Um, general admission for adults is fourteen dollars, and of course, we've got discounts from military seniors students. Uh, of course, World War II veterans are free. 
Um, but general admission for an adult is $14, and that's good for 48 hours. All right. All right. And you're open seven days a week? Yes, we are. We're open seven days a week, 9 to 5. We're only closed Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, and Christmas. And what age group, I mean, how, how young a, a visitor might uh, take away uh, some learning from this experience? You know, I'd say probably about fifth or sixth grade is the lowest you're going to get where someone, the, the kid can really get involved and, and understand what he's looking at and understand what he's walking away with. Now, we have kids come in in fourth grade who, with school groups who just absolutely love it and love seeing the planes and the guns and the tanks and everything. But I think sixth grade is really a good age to where they can start coming in and, you know, comprehend what they're looking at and the stories that are told. Excellent, Brandon. Thanks so much. Brandon Vineyard's the Director of Marketing and Public Relations for the Na Admiral Nimitz Foundation, which runs the National Museum of the Pacific War in Fredericksburg, Texas. You know what I'm going to tell you, that you can find uh, more details at PacificWarMuseum.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We are coming to the end of the first hour of Rudy Max's World. If your station's leaving us, hey, I look forward to seeing you next weekend. Most of our stations, almost all of them, stay for a second hour, and I'm delighted to have that be the way it is. So we'll take about a six-minute break, and we'll be back. I'm Rudy Maxa, inviting you to stick around for more Rudy Maxa's World after this uh, short break. You've been listening to Rudy Maxa's World, America's number one travel radio show on the SSI Radio Network.